Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased to have you join us for the program. I wish I could just go out into the desert. I wish I could just live there. I wish I didn't know any of you. I wish I'd never met you because my heart is breaking for you. I can't handle what you're doing to yourself. God does all he can to help his people. The Bible speaks about us being refined by God. God refines or disciplines us and just like a loving parent, God disciplines before before he punishes. We're in Jeremiah chapter 9 with Dr. Corbett tonight for a look at when God punishes. Please turn to Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. And this is Jeremiah part 19. We're looking at the life of Jeremiah. We've made the point before that those that God uses most significantly are those that God prepares early. Those that God prepares very young. One of the reasons, one of the reasons why we think ministry to children is so important is because if you're going to change the course of history, if you're going to make a significant impact on a generation, you must start young. You must start young. Jeremiah was a young person when he was called. One of the great privileges of being a child who is born to Christian parents and grows up in a Christian house is that they get a wonderful head start. A wonderful head start on learning about God and seeing God in a, in a close and upfront way through the modelling of their parents. When parents go through difficulty and they don't forsake God and they realise, parents realise at that time, forsaking God is not the best course of action when life isn't going your way. When life isn't going your way, that's when you need to embrace God. When life isn't going your way, you don't shake a fist at God. You uphold an open palm to him. You, you, and you'll find that his, his hand is reaching out to you in a similar way. And those who have come to realise that God is God and we are his, rather than the other way around, that, that means rather than saying, God, this is my agenda, get with my program. That's, that, that may be how you start out your Christian journey. But very, very soon into it, you will be frustrated. You will come to realise, as C.S. Lewis says, said, God is not a tame lion. He is not a tame lion. He is somebody who thinks he is actually God. He thinks he's the one who has the right to set the agenda. And he kind of is just... You know, he will lead you, protect you, guide you and love you, just like Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia. He will be to you a pounding lion of great strength by your side if you will learn to walk with him. Jeremiah is somebody who initially as a young child saw very dramatic visions and declared those visions. As he grew into a young man, we, we, we trace the, the life of Jeremiah uh, by the kings that he ministered to, we see that Josiah died around the end of chapter 6 and Jeremiah about this time would have been about 18, 19 years of age. And so we have this very young man speaking to kings and high priests and governors, making political statements, making these huge statements, catching the, the attention of the, the then media of the day. And here's Jeremiah making these outrageous predictions, these outrageous prophecies. And what is so amazing about them 
is that we, we have them documented. And then we have the unfolding of the prophet Jeremiah, who, like most prophets, he was a historian. And, and Jeremiah describes in the, the historical events of what happened to his people. And we see the things that he said would happen within his lifetime, their generation, their life did indeed happen. And that's amazing because he, he names the king who's going to invade them before he was a world emperor. He names how it's going to happen. He, names, he, he describes in detail what would happen to the king who he was ministering to and just imploring him to repent and surrender to God and give his life to God. And he said, if you don't, this is what will happen to you. You will bore a hole through the wall. You will sneak out through that hole in the middle of the night. You think you will have your life, but you will be caught. You will be taken to Babylon, you and your sons. And there, the last you see before they burn your eyes out will be the death of your sons now that to me is kind of like you're either right or you're wrong when you say something like that that is not like vague and and, and mind you this is biblical prophecy this is the prophecy of scripture that is not like but if you pray none of that will happen kind of blank check get out of jail for free if your prophecy doesn't work like i hear so many prophecy nutters today do unbelievable heard the last election somebody prophesying that john howard would win the election in a landslide and i just knew it was not 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 for any political reason but i just knew the credibility of this person was was just silly it was just there was no credibility in it all and of course when john howard didn't win the last election this person came out and said yes you were all meant to pray for that to happen. Obviously, not enough people prayed, therefore the prophecy wasn't fulfilled. Give me a break. But there is a point where the church is told to judge and discern true prophecy from wrong prophecy. So that we understand that when somebody comes along, like Colin advised me, Colin filters a lot of my email, and he advised me that we got an email the other day declaring some prophet declaring that the rapture of the church is going to happen December 4, 21 days before Christmas. So my, my advice on that is, please, if, you, if you're planning a Christmas present for me, can I have it December 3? <laughs> now, here's what I would like to do. You know, if I had the time and I could be bothered, I would be writing back to this prophet and saying, do you own a house? Do you own a car? Do you own anything? Do you have any money in your bank account? Could you bequeath it to me December 5? Because you're not going to... How sure are you of your prophecy? And I'll tell you what will happen. We'll get to December 5 and they'll go, well, it, it didn't happen because we prayed. Give me a break. That's not the way biblical prophecy works. So let's come back to Jeremiah's prophecy. King Zedekiah, you'll be taken through a hole in the wall. You'll think you have your life. You'll flee. You'll be caught. You, your sons, taken back to Babylon the last thing you see before they burn your eyes out will be the death of your son. Death of your son. Nothing like, but if you pray, it won't happen. Nothing like that. And Jeremiah records that that is indeed what happened. So how would you like to meet Jeremiah? You meet Jeremiah and he just looks at you, locks you with his eye and just looks at you. And then he looks back. Would you want to know what the Lord just said to him? Remember when Jesus asked the question, Matthew 16, who do people say that I am. Top of the list, Jeremiah. Some say 
you are Jeremiah. What would it have been like to reach out, grab the hand of Jesus, have him look eye to eye, straight into the, the depths of your soul? Probably much like Peter felt when he was in that boat and Jesus calmed the waters and Peter looked at him and Jesus looked at him and Steven Spielberg, if he ever sees this and he makes a movie about it, it's going to be awesome. It's just, and Jesus, and at that moment, something happened deep in the core of Peter's soul. When we come to Matthew 16, we, we have this question, who do men say I am? Top of the list, Jeremiah. Peter pipes up and says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, where did he get that from? He got that from an encounter with Christ. He got that in a moment where he'd seen Jesus, seen Jesus, then but then he saw Jesus. Wow. Some say you are Jeremiah. So we learn a lot about Jesus from looking at the life of Jeremiah. And here we are in Jeremiah chapter 9. We've already gone through chapter 7 and 8 where the prophet has catalogued their sins. You remember at the end of chapter 7, he, he goes through their sins. And a, a part of the list is this. You murder, you steal, you oppress people, you commit adultery, you, you, you think sex is a plaything, not a sacred thing. You, how dare you call yourself my people when this is how you act? And then he goes on and then he says this, and you come to the temple and make sacrifices. Chapter 7. Now, I would have thought, well, hang on. I thought it was supposed to make sacrifices. And God says, who asked you to make sacrifices? Who asked you to make sacrifices? And God goes on and, and, the, and the, the anger of God. And this is what I think we need to perhaps learn. And, and, and it may well be a shock for people. And I know that there's a whole generation that have been raised on this mantra. You are the most important person on the planet. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you want to have. You can have because you rock, baby. You, it's all about me. Now, um, I'm sorry, you, you may feel splashes of detergent over you in a moment because I want to burst that bubble because I, I've just got a sneaking suspicion that God thinks this is all about him. Just, just don't stone me yet. Just, it's, a, just a, it's just a thought I'm working on. That God actually thinks we are the creation and he is the creator. God actually thinks... That we, the creation, are meant to honour the creator. God actually thinks that we, the creation, may well have a plan that, that he has devised and developed for our life, that he wants us to walk in, and he thinks that he is the most important person in the universe. What's with that? Thinks he's God or something. Now, it comes through this list where he says, you sacrifice to me. What are the, what's he saying? It's saying it's a mockery. How dare you look like you worship me? How dare you look like you do all these religious things when in fact your heart is so far from me? And at that point I'm reading chapter 7 I think, well, boy, it can't get any worse than this, can it? And then Jeremiah says, and this is what it looks like. You take your little baby, newborn babies. You go into a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, which was just over the south side of Jerusalem. Great big wall, valley. And in that valley, they would throw their rubbish. And eventually the rubbish would accumulate so great. This is what happened historically. They built a furnace there, a place in that valley called Tophet. And in Tophet, as the furnace was burning the rubbish in the valley of Hinnom, 
They got it in their head that the sun god they worshipped called Molech and the moon goddess they worshipped called Astarte or the queen of heaven, who they believed that if they had sex with the temple prostitutes of these false deities, usually in front of phallic symbols on hills overlooking their fields, that act of fertility would produce the blessing of Molech, the blessing of Astarte, and bring a blessing of fertility on their crops. And the symbol of their fertility, their little children, they would take down to this furnace in Tophet and they would throw their babies into the fire as an offering to this false god. And chapter 7 closes with that. The catalogue is complete. And God is saying, for this I will judge you. And after judgment comes, when you're found guilty, punishment. And we've gone through chapter 8 where God talks about feeling betrayed, where God feels as if those who should have prevented this, the leaders, the priests, the princes of the land have failed. And now we come to chapter 9 and he's the prophet Jeremiah. You read there in Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 1, Oh, that my head were waters, my eyes were a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. So the prophet is saying, this is not a message that I take any delight in delivering. God is about to not, judgment has happened. God's already judged. He's now about to execute punishment. And I don't feel happy about this, the prophet says. In fact, he goes on and was it verse 3 or something, says, verse 2, I, I wish I could just go out into the desert. I wish I could just live there. I wish I didn't know any of you. I wish I'd never met you because my heart is breaking for you. I can't handle what you're doing to yourselves. And that's the point that sin, we think, is bringing us great pleasure And God says, ultimately, sin is our worst enemy and it will bring us great pain. So we're now coming down to verse 7. We're going to look from chapter 9, verse 7 to 11. We've seen the prophet build to this point where he again has summed up their sins and he summed up all their sins, including what they were doing to their children with this statement. This has happened because you have refused. Verse 6, you have refused to know me. What does a society look like when it refuses to know God? It treats people poorly. It treats life poorly. It makes flippancy of things that are supposed to be sacred. You know, right now, unbelievably, our Our politicians are about to have a debate on whether it should be allowed that somebody can murder somebody else. It's called voluntary euthanasia. It's called assisted suicide. When that law was legislated in the Northern Territory, four people took advantage of it. None of them had a chronic illness. Three of them were young people who were suffering from depression and didn't want to go on anymore. And through the provision of voluntary euthanasia, they were allowed to have doctor-assisted suicide. That's not right. It's not right. And I know that there are people who think that we as Christians are saying we need to fight tooth and nail to keep the dying alive and give them every drug and, and, and medical assistance we can to keep them alive and prolong their suffering. And we are so not saying that. But we are most definitely saying life is sacred. Life is worth living and if you do not want to go on living, there is something wrong. We'd like to be able to help you. And here the prophet is now going to outline God's punishment. 
when God punishes. We're reading Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 7. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do? Oh, because of my people, verse 8. We'll come back and look at these in a bit more detail in a moment. Verse 8. The tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully with his mouth. Each speaks peace to his neighbour. But in his where? Heart. He plans an ambush for him. All right, so let's just have a look what we, what we see here. Firstly, if you claim to have a relationship with God, God will test that claim. God will test that claim. If you claim you are a Christian... God will test that. Many people in public life, in public profile, have claimed to be a Christian only to have God well and truly blow that claim out of the water. And if you and I, just ordinary folk, claim that we're a Christian, God will put that claim to the test. So I want you to see, we're just going to ponder verse 7 for a moment. You notice there, um, in verses 7 and 8, we'll combine them. That, that, that when God says this, I'm going to do this, what else could I have done? Because my people speak with deadly arrows. Notice that. What does that tell us about how God's people are meant to speak? See, my people. See, the thing is here, if you claim to be someone who knows God, you claim to be a Christian, you speak differently. You speak differently. We're going to have a look at this in a moment when we look at how God wants to refine us. In verse 7, I think we need to understand that especially in the New Testament, the New Covenant, under the Old Covenant, it was about here is my standard, now keep it. And no one could, no one did. And there were people that found grace even under the Old Covenant. But now we're in the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, you need to understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, ascended to heaven, the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit, we call this the baptism in the Spirit, the baptism in the Spirit came and was poured out on all flesh. There is something that changed in the world today. It is the availability of the Holy Spirit to all flesh. It doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter who you've done it with. It doesn't matter how far you think you are from God. Because of Pentecost, you should drop to your knees and thank God for the day of Pentecost. Because of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has been sent to earth and is available to all flesh, all people. All people can now have the Holy Spirit's help. What a wonderful thing to hear God say, would you like my help? That's what grace is. We try so hard to save ourselves, clean ourselves up, get our act together, turn over a new leaf. Forget it. You can't do it. We are totally depraved, as the old reformers said. doesn't mean we foam at the mouth and we need a rabies shot. It just means that there's nothing in us that will ever measure up to the goodness that God expects. Thank God that the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on all flesh. If you feel the conviction of sin, you know the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh because it's what the Holy Spirit does. And you begin to realize these things have got to be put right and I can't do it. God, 
I need your help. That's called calling on the name of the Lord. We need God's help. God's people are meant to speak differently. So you can see here in verse 7, what else could I do? What else can I do? God is doing all he can to help. Now, if he did all he could to help under the old covenant, under the new covenant, he's done even more. He sent his son who's paid the price for our sin. He's paid the price for our guilt, our shame. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that should have been us. When Jesus Christ went into eternity, I hear people say that God would never punish people for eternity. Well, the Bible describes Jesus, the lamb that was slain from when? Anyone know? The foundation of the world. Jesus went into a different dimension. He went into an eternal dimension and paid the price of sin. And if you don't accept his payment as your eternal payment for sin, then you'll have to pay it. But unlike Jesus, you'll never conquer it. Jesus conquered sin and he conquered death, eternal death. He conquered it. You've got two choices for saviour, yourself or Jesus. I'm on his team. He's my captain. I'm batting with him. In fact, he can hold the bat. So God does all he can to help people. Now notice this. God does something in his people and it's called refining. See that in verse 7? Behold, I will refine them and test them. This is something we need to appreciate. God does. What's this refining that he's talking about? Malachi talked about it as well in Malachi chapter 3 verse 13. Uh, Paul the Apostle talks about it in uh, what is it? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where he talks about, or 1 Corinthians 3 where he talks about all our works, everything we do going through fire and God will burn off the hay and the straw and the stubble but that which is built with gold and precious stones, that is the stuff that we do because God is in it, that'll last. The stuff we do because it's us and we're in it and it's going to be better for us and God's not in it, God will burn that out of your life. So see here, refining is like disciplining, the removal of unnecessary, unhelpful, unproductive parts of our lives which hamper our soul's progress. What are those things that the Holy Spirit wants to put his finger on? What are those things? I want to give you some reason to think that it's better to have God refine you here in this life than the consequences of not being refined in this life. Now, when God wants to refine you, there's three key areas where it's going to happen. God's assessment of a person is based on what they say, what they think, and what they do. You know, God wants to renew our thinking. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Don't be, uh, therefore, it says, therefore, be renewed in your mind. Therefore, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, being renewed in your mind, being renewed in your mind. What are you pumping into your mind? There are things you can put into your mind that are just completely unhelpful. They're not going to help you. So God wants us to renew our thinking. I hope you, as a person who claims to be a follower of Christ, I hope you're renewing your mind every day with God's word. I hope that you subscribe to really good podcasts and put those on MP3 and listen to those in your car when you go for a walk or do whatever you do. Renew your mind. I hope you're reading really good books. I hope that you're renewing your mind on the word of God. Secondly, our words. God God assesses the person on the words we use. You know, Ephesians 4.29 says, Let Nothing proceed out of your mouth except 
that which is wholesome and good and edifies others. So God will, God will, come on, this is church, come on. God will assess people on, on what they think. You know, the Bible says Jesus was with them and he knew what they were thinking. It says that regarding Jesus being with the Pharisees. He knew what they were thinking. God knows what you think. And there's coming a day, according to Revelation 12, when the books will be open, perhaps one of those books, are the thoughts that we've thought. That'll be a scary day. Thank God he has the erase button. Thank God he can wash us whiter than snow. I mean, really, just excuse me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. So notice the, the speaking side. Let's just have a look because the prophet draws attention to this in verse 8. Their tongue is a deadly arrow. So God's people should be marked by honest speaking. It says uh, their tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully, reminiscent of what David said in Psalm 55, verse 21. Now, notice this about an honest person, the way an honest person speaks. You can tell, if you're in dialogue, and I'll say this to particularly young ladies who, who need to know whether they're dealing with an honest man, an honest young man. Notice this. I think there's several things that identify the way a person speaks that tells you whether they're an honest person or not. Firstly, they don't lie. Now, that might sound obvious, but... If what they say matches reality, if what they say is backed up by the evidence, there's a good chance they're not lying. Secondly, they don't cut with their words. They don't use cutting words. Um, and and if, they, if they do say something that's cutting in humour, they, they, they will say it in such a way that it's banter and it's friendly. And that's not always an easy thing to do, but cutting Honest people don't cut people down with their words. Thirdly, they don't flatter. You know, when someone flatters, there's usually a motive behind it, something they want. An honest person doesn't do that. They're, they're not going to use flattery. Fourthly, they apologise. They're not too proud to say, look, I, I said this, I'm sorry, I overstepped a mark, I, I shouldn't have said that. So their, their honesty comes out in that way. They also deliver on their promises. Yeah, oh, I'll do it. I'll be there. I'll get it done. They deliver on their promises. And they build others up with their speech. They build others up with their speech. So an honest person is not afraid to build someone up. They'll do that. You can, you can tell when you're talking with someone and in mid-conversation, mid-sentence, they'll stop and go, hang on, hang on. No, sorry, I, I said there were seven, there was, there was five. Just wanted to just clarify that. And they'll correct themselves. I know that when I'm talking with someone and they correct themselves mid-sentence, mid-conversation, I go, now that tells me a lot about you. You are prepared to correct yourself immediately. You know, an honest person realises that communication is not just about words. An honest person is not going to say one thing and mean another. So... Okay, let's have a look at verse 9. This is the climax of it, and we will wrap it up from here. So Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 9. Shall I not punish them for these things? That's a question. Isn't that interesting? That's an interesting question. Shall I not punish them for these things? Declares the Lord. 
Shall I not avenge myself on a nation such as this? Shall I not punish them? Okay. I think there's certain things God will do before he punishes. I think we need to appreciate that. Firstly, God is going to discipline, especially his people, before he punishes them. So if you sense conviction of sin, John 16, verse 8, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, Jesus said, will convict the world of sin, of their lack of righteousness and a judgment to come. If you sense that what you're doing is wrong, that's God. And thank God for it. Thank God for that. That's God beginning the disciplinary process. So, so here's the question. Why does God punish it all? Well, what's the big deal? I mean, surely... I think we need to understand, firstly, there's, there's four things I want to look at for reasons why God punishes. And the first thing I think we need to understand about punishment is there's degrees of punishment. There are degrees of punishment. That means this, someone who deserves greater punishment, and let's, let's, let's use, for example, someone who perhaps has their belly as their God, this is Colossians chapter 3 or 4. Their belly is their God, so they eat too much. They eat too much and food has become their idol. Now that, and they may go to their grave without accepting Christ and for that God, that idolatry. That, but then there's someone like Adolf Hitler. There are some people who say that, that when the next life comes, everybody's just going to go, that's it, all over. Really? The person who had one too many peanut butter sandwiches is going to suffer the same fate as Adolf Hitler. Does that sound like justice to you? It doesn't sound like justice to me. Not only, and, and, and irregardless of that, that's irrelevant. Is that what scripture teaches? Does it teach that God won't even take the time to judge? He'll just go, you're all dead, you sinned, I'm not your saver. Someone sweep that ash heap away. Does that... That doesn't sound right. Now, notice Jesus said this, Woe unto you, Chorazin, for if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago. But because you didn't, your punishment will be greater. So there's degrees of sin. Common sense tells us that someone like Adolf Hitler deserves far more than what the person who had one too many peanut butter sandwiches is going to get. Doesn't that make sense? It's justice. So there's degrees of punishment. Jesus described the degrees of punishment in sense of some will be cast into outer darkness, some will be cast into flames. There's degrees of punishment. Secondly, it, it is an act of justice. I've alluded to it. Why does God punish? It's an act of justice. You know, in this life, there are many crimes that will go unpunished. There are many people who will never get justice in this life, but I can absolutely guarantee this based on what we see in God's word. There will come a day when justice will be fully delivered. You may have been wronged, you may have been robbed, you may have been harmed or hurt and think there has been no justice in this life. I tell you this now, there will be in the next. There will be in the next. Does not the judge who judges rightly bring justice? This is what the Bible claims and cries out. Thirdly, God punishes, and there are, there are some powerful examples of how God intervened before the judgment to judge on earth, to give us what's called a shadow of ultimate judgment. I think of Numbers 16, sons of, not sons of, Korah and his family, and, and 
some of those guys rebelled against Moses. And the Bible says this, and again, if Steven Spielberg ever reads this in the Bible, look out. But there's Korah in rebellion to, to God. And the Bible says that there came a day when Moses stood there, Korah and his family and some of those Levites stood there, and, and Moses said, okay, let God judge us. And the earth opened up and closed up on Korah. Moses said, is there anyone else who'd like to rebel against the Lord? <laughs> no, well, I think we'll call it a morning and let's go and have lunch. <laughs> Punishment serves to warn others. Fourthly, and this is probably the most important thing. Notice the last part of this verse, verse 9. You know, I read this and I found this quite curious. It says this, the first part, Shall I not punish them for these things, declares the Lord? Shall I not avenge myself? Avenge yourself? What are you talking about, avenge yourself? Well, it sounds like God feels that when people have sinned and lived the way they've lived, he's the one who's been harmed. So if you accept God's discipline in this life, you won't have to experience his punishment in the next. Let's pray. We pray that you'll put your searchlight through our heart that you'll help us to see our heart as you see our heart. That, Lord, those things that are in our heart, those, those, those bastions of pride, those bastions of self-deceit, Lord, would just be evaporated. That, Lord, we, we can't do it without you. So we, we ask that you would help us to receive your discipline. Now, Father, if there are those who are listening to me right now, and they have never given their life to Jesus Christ. They've never surrendered. They've never made him Lord. Perhaps they've gone to church every Sunday all of their life, but they've never said, Jesus, I've been the God of my life, and for that I'm sorry. I now want you to be the God of my life. Help us as your people to live that way. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Ignoring or defying the discipline of God's refining hand has consequences, as we've discovered tonight in Jeremiah. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Jeremiah Session 19, When God Punishes, are available from Lagana Media. You can contact us at PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277, or via the website findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to the monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.